When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. The lady that worked in the box office with me, Joanne, she would say, let's go out there, you know, in the crowd that was still outside dying to get in. Let's go out there and find the person with the dirtiest feet. <laughs> mm. <laughs> so we'd wander in the crowd and hand out tickets. I am Francine Accardi Perry, and I co-managed Grateful Dead ticket sales from 1984 to 1995, and then I became owner, co-owner and then owner of GDTSTOO from 1995 through 2016, 32 years of Grateful Dead ticket sales. Yes, as you just heard in the intro, Frankie is our guest today here on Comedy History 101, where we school you in comedy. I am Harmon Leon. Hello. Welcome to the show. If you listened to Comedy History 101 before, welcome back. If this is your first time, hello, new friend. So as mentioned, Frankie is our guest today. She co-managed the Grateful Dead ticket office. This is a companion episode to our previous episode where I interviewed Stephen Marcus, who ran Grateful Dead Ticketing, an icon in the industry with great behind-the-scenes stories of what it was like working for the Grateful Dead in its prime, as well as this episode right here. So I interviewed Frankie a while back. I interviewed her for a script I wrote for the podcast Paperless, I will drop a link in the description. A story I wrote for Paperless called Blinkers, which was about a teenage hustler, loosely based on very much reality, who hustled counterfeit tickets during the height of the Grateful Dead. So I did a little backstory research before writing that script. I interviewed Frankie. I interviewed Stephen Marcus. And you might note the audio quality on the interview, not so good. It was done on a phone recording app. But the interview is very interesting, so it makes the cut for Comedy History 101. But before we jump into the episode, first take some time to like, subscribe, and even leave a dumb comment about Comedy History 101. Also, a few upcoming plugs on Thursday, September 21st, 7 p.m. at Young Ethel's in Brooklyn. I will be producing my show, That 80s Improv Challenge, where three improv teams compete by creating scenes inspired by videos from the 1980s. Also on September 26th, Tuesday at Crystal Lake, we will be producing our show, Comedy Bites, AI versus human roast battle. Come see a machine learning AI take on a human comedian in a comedy roast battle of tomorrow. And now, 
let's jump into our episode with Frankie and hear some stories about the heyday of the Grateful Dead ticketing office. Comedy History 101. To jump right in, how did you become like the head of, of ticketing? Like, what was your history before you got involved with ticketing? Well, I was always a fan. I guess I saw my first show in 1970 at Winterland, 7071, New Year's Eve show. And of course, I was hooked from then on. And in 1984, I had a, I had a friend named Carrie Rifkin who was married to Danny. And Danny at the time was just setting up this new ticket office. I, at the time, was working for a seasonal ambulance as an EMT, so it was off-season, and I needed a job, and they offered me a job, and I went over and started working, and within several months, I was co-managing the office, which I did for a long time. When Jerry died, gosh, in 1995, the band gift shared the office to the four main employees, which was Steve Marcus, myself, Calico, Bandermay, which was she was known as Ruby, and Joanne Wishnoff. And eventually, Joanne and Steve went their own ways, and Calico and I maintained the business for years after that and then she had to leave because she was had dementia so it was up to me for I guess the remaining nine years of the business to to carry on which I did how would you say the ticketing was different than how other bands or promoters ticket oh, for their well, shows? It, it was Danny Rifkin's idea and at first he brought in Eddie Washington and Eddie Washington brought in Steve Marcus and then I was brought in right after that it was a novel idea because Ticketron at the time was not only charging the band's uh, service fee, they wanted to charge the band itself for each ticket. So Danny said, well, we'll sell our own tickets. And that's how ma mail order began. And it was a pretty unique business all the way up until... We closed, I guess, in 2016. What was like sort of the system for ticketing? Like, say, what did the fans need to send in to get a well, ticket? Right. This was all before internet. So you have to take all of that into consideration. There was no online ticketing. There was no email. We made a ticketing company actually buy a fax machine. So that's how antiquated we were. And we got the word out through a telephone hotline message that people would call up and listen to the instructions to get mail order. The Grateful Dead will play May 5th and 6th at the Cal State Dominguez Hill Soccer Field in Carson, California. Showtimes are 2 p.m. All tickets are general admission. Tickets are available now by mail order. They would call in and we'd give them the instructions and they would have to send in a 3 by 5 index card with their name, address, and phone number, and the tickets that they wanted, the, the show, the number of tickets. With that, they had to have a money order. In 
the long run, we were just starting to accept postal money orders because money orders can actually be stopped. They can stop payment on a money order just like they can a check on most money orders. So we had to, we learned that lesson. So they had to send in this money order and then a self-addressed stamped envelope. And they all had to be number 10 size envelopes because when we first started getting them, they were all haphazardly different kinds of things. And we were very strict about our rules because we would sell out every single show. How, how would you prevent ticket scalping and, and counterfeiting, you know, maybe going back to, like, where you got the tickets printed? Well, yes, we had all kinds of counterfeiting measures actually developed for us, which was tricolored stock, raised littering, glitter. Um, the best one that worked was foil because that was the most expensive to replicate. We found that college workshops were the worst offenders, college print shops. (laughs) Uh And we had scalping and counterfeiting at every single one of our shows. Our tickets were pretty good, but the outlet tickets were, it was impossible to keep them from the hands of the scalpers. So Yeah, so did you find, say, when, and first of all, was like the partnership with Ticketmaster, was that because sort of Ticketmaster had just became, you know, I know there was the court cases like in the 90s, but it was like they sort of grasped a monopoly on on ticketing events. Right. Well, I, you know, whatever it was, they knew that we had the fans and they knew it would just be such, you know, we could have, all right, we'll have 50,000 fans at your door next week if that's what you want, basically. And we had the clout. We sold the tickets. We could do a lot when Jerry was alive. I mean, it was just a fountain of money <laughs> flowing. It was. But everybody also had to work really hard to keep the machine running. You know, it wasn't as if it was just a heyday. It was hard work, hard, detailed work. It was. And we were very blessed, we were, to have done that task. Like you said, you had like, um, like on the tickets, it was like very personal touch. Like what I read was like the company would sometimes just change up the design or ticket stock with like every show. But did you find like, um, when Ticketmaster came in, did the like sort of ticket counterfeiting went up because it was probably like they kept consistent with their kind of tickets and their ticket stock? Well, that our ticket stock charged duplicate. We made it so. I mean, we would buy from Weldon Williams and Lick and also from Quick Ticks with all these features. This was all before barcodes. All, you know, so we had to go by numbers. With with Ticketmaster, the stock was always stolen and it was hard to keep up with the counterfeits and scalping, you know, but we did a good job on our end. We did. There were so many different tricks to catch them. And Back in the day, Calico and Tom had a team. They were a team going through these pieces of mail and spot things that a normal eye would not spot. The handwriting and the addresses and the postmarks. And there was just so many different ways of catching them, you know. We did. We took the time to do that. The whole thing was about getting Deadhead into the show. That's all, you know. 
the ticket office really mission statement, giving deadheads fair access to the show because we were all deadheads pretty much and we all felt the magic of it all. So that's why we felt we were all blessed. Just in, in your own words, why is ticket counterfeiting bad other than, you know, just the obvious? Well, the FBI was formed because people were counterfeiting money. <laughs> You're going to mess somebody up in the long run when you do that. So that's not right. You're just doing it for money, unless you're doing it for sport, and that's not right either. Obviously, people doing it would say it's not a victimless crime. And again, would you like to equate it to just printing fake money, printing, you know, a fake ticket to sell and make make money? I think it's stealing, stealing. You're stealing from the customer. You're not giving the person the right service. You're giving us a big headache. On the converse, you'd see it more like kind of being like a predator and kind of the opposite antithesis of what? being part of the dead community was all about. I would say, because it was, you know, was hurting somebody in the long run, yeah. I understood the, the desire for people to get in, that's for sure. Yeah, one story I heard, like, on, on a podcast was, like, someone took, like, an Oakland A's baseball ticket and just taped it to, like, an old ticket. Occasionally, you would get someone kind of impressed by that ingenuity. And they let them in. Just let them in? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I wouldn't call that, you know, that's just desperate getting in. He's not pumping out 5,000 tickets to sell. He's trying to spin the show. At one point, the, the lady that worked in the box office with me, Joanne, we would have, like, maybe a few extras to give away. and She, she would say something like, Let's go out there, you know, in the crowd that was still outside, you know, dying to get in. Let's go out there and find the person with the dirtiest feet. <laughs> that was weird. She had a very funny sense of humor. So we'd wander in the crowd and hand out tickets. Any other funny stories like that? Well, one of my favorite stories is the very beginning we were hoping that this thing works, you know, and New Year's Eve. And we said, let's visualize four trays of mail. Okay, four trays of mail. We all sat around and tried to visualize four trays of mail. The next day, something like 44 trays of mail came in. <laughs> mm. And another fun story was when we get these three trays of mail, and they're all addressed to Chewbacca. <laughs> mm. They gave us Chewbacca's mail, and we were waiting all day for him to come pick it up, but he didn't, so we had to bring it back. But that was. <laughs> I'm trying to use the phone! Yeah. Like, like some of the fan art that people used to put on, would, would that coax you to have preference to someone who just put amazing fan art on their envelopes? Well, everybody tried. Are you kidding? Because, you know, we weren't supposed to pick the beautiful envelopes, but I'm sure those poor tickers couldn't help but resist, you know, and fabulous pieces of art would come through. That's another thing we had a great time doing was creating the tickets, you know, putting all the different logos on them. And for New Year's Eve, we would always come up with these fabulous tickets that would just make the ticket printing companies go <laughs> crazy with trying to <laughs> satisfy our needs. But that was one of the funnest things I got to do. 
later on pick all the new year's eve tickets and design them oh that's great that's great and that did Ticketmaster like try to create some of that art or was it just sort of like generic sort of tickets for the 50th i went through seventy-two thousand pieces of mail we got 90 million dollars I had to return $81 million, or we had to return $81 million. And we did it all in six weeks. <laughs> it took 60 people. It was an amazing feat. We got um, 72,000 pieces of mail, something like, I don't know, 400 trays. I, I forget what it was. I went through every single piece, and I picked out three winners because I thought it would be a good idea to have the envelopes as tickets this time because the artwork was so fabulous. So I picked out three tickets, and there was one that was online. These envelopes were pretty much online even before they came to us because people were taking pictures of them. And um, I knew this one that I wanted, which was the Friday ticket, because I had ideas for that one. But the other two I just picked out. We made them tickets. Well, the one that everybody online loved was this fabulous, beautiful piece of art. But it came to us ripped. All the inside was in there, but the whole, there was a whole corner of it ripped. So I didn't pick that one. When I called the winners... Um, the Friday ticket was a tattoo artist and I called her up and I said, you know, you won, you won. And she's flipping out. She goes, what about my teacher? And her teacher was the one that sent that fabulous piece in and I told them about it and they were so disappointed, but I looked on the back of it and she had this gorgeous 50th, the way she did her five and zero. So I asked her if we could use that. And I took that on, and Ticketmaster decided to use that as well, that 50th. So, yes, they had, in our history, they have used our artwork. All those people got in, too. The nice. second piece was a 4th of July piece that I picked because it was the 4th of July, and it was this gorgeous red, white, and blue skull of roses. It was just fabulous, I thought. And we opened the envelope, and the, it was a note inside that says, I don't really have any money, but enjoy the art. <laughs> ah. All these all these people got two free tickets to the show. And the last one I picked was a candle with a, all these kind of lyrics symbolized in the picture. And that was very nice. And I talked to her. And she was her, a friend of her was inspired by a book. And da, 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 da. it was that was pretty fun. And those three pictures you can see under the 50th link. Those three tickets, rather. And I don't know if you can get to the Grateful Dead Museum people, but Santa Cruz is doing a great documenting the history. They have a great collection, of, of, and I'm really proud and happy that they're doing this, you know, in their museum. You're stupid. Everybody's so stupid. Were, were, were all the shows usually or always sold out? Like through the run up until like 95 or so, or even beyond? Absolutely. Yep. Yep. And then just going back to like counterfeiters, like if it's sold out and someone's coming with like 500 extra counterfeit tickets, I mean, isn't that a huge like safety issue? Or did it ever feel like those safety issues yeah. were violated because of this ecosystem? 
of you know of counterfeiters? Of course, they would no. Of course, it would would you know overcrowd the the show or whatever they did was wrong. So yeah, and there were there counterfeiters and scal- scalpers at every single one of the shows. Did you ever have like any personal encounters? You know, other than you know, like spotting them through like the way they would send in a mail order request, just like as like a face to face with, with any of these people that, that were counterfeiters at all or? No, because like I said, most of the offenders at that time were college kids from, you know, and I believe Steve worked with the FBI a little bit on some, I'm not sure if it was a scalping issue or counterfeit issue. But did you feel the purpose of someone buying like a counterfeit ticket was also to be a fan? You know, they're bought by fans to get into They were shows. totally desperate. They were totally desperate. I totally understood, you know, why they would do that. But there were so many reasons why they shouldn't. And we put it out there as much as we could. We, when we sent tickets out, we sent them out with flyers, with hotel information and gas information and all kinds of travel information and warnings. Don't buy from other unauthorized ticket agencies, age our people. You know, don't buy from the street. We would let them know in a hotline message. So, you know, they knew but they were still so desperate they would do anything. We touched every ticket. We did. One of the crew touched every ticket. You know, we looked at every ticket as a person. That was a good thing. <laughs> What's been the most memorable thing about, you know, working with the Grateful Dead? It was just all a wonderful memory. I'm just so lucky to have been there and have my family while I was there. And just It was just all a magic memory. <laughs> Make sure you know that we worked hard. <laughs> well, you didn't have a computing system, and you would individually no. do these mail orders by hand. Detailed, so, yeah, detailed. That's right. <laughs> yeah. It was very detail-oriented. Yeah. And just, I've heard, like, just a lot of emotional stories about when, you know, Jerry passed away. What was it like, if you mind me asking for you? Oh, it was heartbreaking. It was, it was just, oh, my God, you know. Oh, no. <laughs> You know, we all went into the office that day and lit candles, prayed with each other. You know, time, it was time for a change. We knew it, you know, this gift had been taken away. But Jerry always said he wanted to be remembered for his music. So we always had to, we had to remember that he gave us that gift, you know. So, I don't know, it was horrible. And with that, we wrap up today's episode of Comedy History 101. Be sure to go back and also check out the episode on my interview with Stephen Marcus, who was the head of the Grateful Dead ticketing office. Also, remember to like, subscribe, and comment on Comedy History 101. Even leave a dumb comment. We will read it right here on the podcast. And when we, and when we say we, it'll really be me. I will do that reading. Such as we got a comment from someone who goes by the name Pieces of Purple on our episode on the history of Lenny Bruce censorship and free speech. Pieces of Purple writes, thanks for this blog post. (laughs) You're welcome, Pieces of Purple. Thank you. That's almost like a haiku. Very succinct in your thoughts. You are very much Welcome. Also, again, remember, on Thursday, September 21st, 
you can come see the show. That 80s improv challenge at Young Ethel, 7 p.m. at Brooklyn. And also Comedy Bites AI versus Human Roast Battle on Tuesday, September 26th at Crystal Lake in Brooklyn. And also check out my story, Blinkers, on Paperless Podcast put out by the Vespucci Group. I will leave a link in the show description. And until next time, bye-bye. Comedy History 101.